Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, for your goodness, for, for what you have accomplished for us. It is through Christ alone that we are saved. It's through Christ alone that we are redeemed. And we are so thankful for you. So thankful that you thought us worthy to be saved. Help us to place our hope in you, O God. To truly live as people who have their hope firmly fixed in Christ alone. And we thank you for all that you've done, for all that you're doing. And I pray as we we learn what it looks like to be faithful in prayer today, but that this wouldn't just be words that we say, God, but it would be actions that we do. And that we truly learn what it means to be faithful in prayer so that we can go from this place and implement this idea of, of seeking you in prayer. And I pray that you would speak through me this morning, that the words I speak would be the words that you've given me, God. They wouldn't be my own words, but they would be revealed by the Spirit for our church in this time. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, I'm excited for us to, to gather together this morning. It's always, uh, it's a little cold, but it, it's not too bad. I feel like last week was, was worse with all the wind. Um, you know, and it's, it's always like these mornings where it's just a tad bit cold, where we're bundled up a little bit, where we can want to not do this. But we've decided to be a church without walls. And that's something that, that we're doing. We're embracing. We're going after it. And it's hard on mornings like today. Um, but when we look at our mission, when we look at what we truly want to do, the things that we want to be as a church, it becomes a little bit easier. Because I say this every week. I don't know if you've noticed. I try to make sure our mission's in there every single week. And that's because I want it to be top of mind for us. I don't want us just to have a mission statement. Be like, yeah, we got one of those on our website. I want this to actually be something that we embody, which is why I try and say it every single week. So I, I challenge you to memorize it. I challenge you to keep it top of mind because we are a church that exists to help people discover the fullness of God, to help people become authentic disciples of Jesus Christ and live on mission. That's, that's who we are. That's the thing that we're trying to do in this city. It's what God has called us to do. And it's what we've been doing for the last year. Can, can you guys believe it? It's been, it's been basically a year as I was reflecting this week. I was like, man, we started in March and it's February. Like this is our 12th month of meeting together as City Church. And, you know, it wasn't like anything any of us expected at all. Like we expected this to look completely different. We were excited about it. We're, we're going to launch and people were just going to come because, you know, that's what you expect to happen. But you know, I, I look back and we didn't meet any of the goals that I had for us at City Church, like when it comes to numbers. Like I wanted these things. I was like, yeah, the Lord's going to do this. And like, they were meager goals. Like they weren't like these high, crazy goals. And I was like, you know, the Lord's going to do this thing. And then throughout the year, like I started adjusting them. And then even my adjustments like are nowhere near reality. Um, and it can be, it can be easy in that moment to be like, well, you know, the Lord didn't call us to do this, but but the Lord did call us to do this. Like it, it's easy to see that he's calling us to something. We're in the midst of a global pandemic. And so we're pivoting, we're figuring out what that looks like. We're figuring out how to reach the community around us. And I'm really excited about this next year. You know, I'm really grateful for where the, 
the Lord has us, the journey that we've been on as the people of God, seeking him, learning what it looks like to be people of the process. And, you know, as I've, I've, as I've looked back this past year, as I've, you know, considered what we've done, what we haven't done, um, you know, it can be easy to be full of regrets, but really I don't have any regrets. Um, I look at what we've done and, you know, the only thing that, that really comes as a regret to me is that we didn't spend more time in prayer, that we didn't place a true emphasis on prayer as City Church. We talked a lot about the mission of God. We talked a lot about holiness. We talked a, a lot about personal growth and sanctification. But, you know, while I've talked touched on prayer a couple of times. We've talked about the Lord's Prayer. We've had this a part of sermons. It hasn't been an outright emphasis of what we're doing at City Church. And today I'm hoping that that begins to change just a little bit. I'm hoping that, that we can make just a tad bit of a shift starting today to really embrace prayer as something that we do as the body of Christ that is City Church. You know, I want us to become a church with an apostolic anointing. I want us to become a church that truly embraces what the early church did. You know, that can only be found in the place of prayer. It can only be found when we go to the place of prayer where we seek Christ in what he has already done, what he's currently doing, approaching the throne of God boldly. And casting out all distractions that may be around us because when we pray before the Lord, there are always distractions. When we preach outside in a public park, there will always be distractions. And so we press on to the Lord, <laughs> even when it's really bad music and a truck passing us by. You know, if we want to become an, a church with an apostolic anointing, we have to approach God through the place of prayer. We have to approach God through the place of prayer. See, the early church followed a pattern that we can all learn from. And we look at the early church and we talk about it, we're like, man, they had great results. We can see, we can read the book of Acts, and we're like, man, the church was full of life. They were full of salvations. They were full of preaching the gospel. They were always on mission. They were sending out missionaries. They were sending out people to this church and this region and that region. And it can be easy to see that and miss the point. It can be easy to see all the action and miss the, the subtlety that's there through the place, the place of prayer. The results are incredible. I, I read the book of Acts and I get excited. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's send out the missionaries. Let's do all of these things. But the process that the early church attended to is what we really need to focus on. Yeah. It's what we really need to pay attention to. And so this morning I'm going to do something a little bit different that I don't normally do i'm going to summarize instead of reading and that's not because i'm trying to change up the text you know i'm always going to encourage you to go read the actual scripture itself it's because i want to summarize acts two through four and i don't want to spend 15 minutes of my sermon reading three chapters of scripture and then having to explain and summarize on top of that so i encourage you to go read acts two through four today you can send me a text message and tell me if i've got it completely wrong i don't think that i do but I am just going to summarize it. Uh, so you guys are feel free to check my work. I encourage you to check my work. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. So Acts 2. I'm going to put this into perspective for us. Acts 2, the beginning of the chapter, what do we see? We see these group of 120 believers who have witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who have witnessed the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. They're waiting and praying together for the promise of the Spirit. 
They saw the ascension of Jesus Christ and they spent 10 days together up until the day of Pentecost, praying, seeking the Lord of one mind, going after the promise of the spirit that Jesus tells them to pursue. On the day of Pentecost, they're filled with the spirit. They begin speaking with other tongues. They begin prophesying and Peter gets bold. He's like, yeah, let's do this. You know, I had been a fool up to this point, but I'm going to stand boldly now and I'm going to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to all these people who think we're drunk. You know, so Peter gets up, he's bold and thousands of people are saved from his sermon. And what we see at the end of chapter two, we see this, this good news. It starts in this idea, this solemn place of prayer, pursuing the Lord at the beginning of Acts 2. And at the end of Acts 2, we see the same thing. The believers are once again gathered together in fellowship and in prayer. And that emboldens them towards righteous living in actually doing the things that Jesus has called them to do. They begin meeting the needs of everyone around them. They, they see all of their property as communal property. They're selling property. They're meeting every need possible. And it leads to more and more and more people trusting in Christ through the daily act of surrendering to him. So Acts 3, we get, we get there, we get this good news in Acts 2, we're like, we're pumped up, we're going to see the church of Christ go forth and do really awesome, cool things. And so Acts 3, we have Peter and John. What are they doing at the beginning of Acts 3? They're going to the temple to pray. So we see prayer become the central focus already in the first few chapters of Acts. So Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, and they're stopped by a man like, hey man, can you give me some some silver, some gold, and Peter's not like silver and gold. I ain't got none of that, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the dude gets healed. He stands up. He's strengthened. He's like doing jumping jacks and like shouting for joy. And all the people that are around, they're like, they're like, we know this guy. Like he's been here for over a decade. Like we've seen him every single day that we come to the temple. And they're like, what is happening? What is going on? And so Peter, once again, being filled with the Spirit, being, being emboldened by the Spirit, he begins to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone. Like, yeah, we're like, first two chapters going really great in those first, uh, you know, chapter two and chapter three. Okay, this is awesome. Then we get to chapter four. You know, it starts to take a little bit of a turn. The beginning of Acts chapter four, we see Peter and John put into jail. You're not really the thing you want to see when you're starting a new move of God in, you know, a region that's you, you know, typically known for not being too, you know, happy-go-lucky. So Peter and John are put in jail. They're taken before the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling council of the Jewish people. They're taking before them. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They're like, they're preaching this gospel. They're preaching this good news of Jesus. I thought we got rid of this. I thought we had crucified this Jesus. I thought this problem was gone. And Peter and John are filled with the spirit again. And Peter, once again, preaches Christ to those who are around him. He preaches Christ and, and ultimately what happens is the Sanhedrin, they're like, okay, guys, look, don't speak anymore in this name of Jesus. Like, you just got to stop it. You need to, to knock it out. Don't do this anymore. And Peter and John, you know, being the good Christians that they are, they say no. Like, no, we're not going to do that, whether it is right before the sight of God for us to listen to you or to listen to man. Yeah, we're going to choose God over you. We're going to keep pursuing this thing that the Lord has called us to do. And for some reason, the Sanhedrin's like, okay, sure, you guys are free to go. Like, I don't understand, like, reading it. I, like, I still don't understand why they were like, yeah, okay, that's fine. 
like except for the Holy Spirit and except for the Lord doing this thing. And for me, like if I'm in this situation, like I just went into jail, like for preaching the good news of Jesus, you know, I went before the Sanhedrin. They're like, okay, you're free to leave. Like after that, I'm probably like having a celebration, like a party, like I'm going to go get a nice steak dinner and, you know, have some balloons or something like that. I'm going to be excited that I'm released and, and prayer isn't going to be the thing that's on my mind. But what, what do Peter and John do? Immediately after they're released from this council of the Sanhedrin, they go and gather with the church and they pray. Immediately, this is their response. They're like, we've seen these good things. We're, we're going forth and we're going to pray. And they're not praying that God would send fire and brimstone and like all of this on the Jewish people in the Sanhedrin. That's not what they're praying. They're praying and thanking God for his continued boldness. They're asking God to continue to give them boldness, to, to keep going forth, to keep speaking the name of Jesus, being thankful that they were count, counted worthy to suffer reproach for Jesus Christ. And once again, we see the believers filled with the Spirit. They're emboldened to, to go forth and speak the name of Jesus boldly. And what do we see at the end of this chapter? They're once again gathered together. They're once again going out and doing the things in righteous living, meeting the tangible needs of the people around them. And so those are the those three chapters of Acts. Again, I encourage you to go read them, to check my work, send me some hate mail if I got any of it wrong, but I promise I've been faithful to the text that is there. The thing that I want us to get today, the thing that I want us to understand is we see all the results in Acts. We see all the results of what the people of God did. But that's not the point. The point of it isn't just the, the results of it. It's about the process. And that's something that needs to, to get inside of us. This is something that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And it's something that we're going to continue talking about a little bit. Because I want us to shift. I really want us to shift instead of having this, this idea of, yeah, you know, we're doing church, we're doing this thing. I want it to, to get inside of us. I want it to, to be something that truly changes how we live, how we approach life, not just as Christians, but how, how we approach life just in general. That we're Christians first and not, you know, Christianity is the thing that we, you know, kind of have added on. See, the process of the early church, it centered on prayer. And from that place of prayer, we have empowering, refining, and sending flowing from it. There's actually an illustration in the notes in you version that show what this looks like. You have prayer at the center, and then from there, you have empowering, you have refining, you have sending going from there. And they all kind of flow into one another, but they all push to prayer, and they all flow from prayer. At the end of the day, prayer was that central part of the early church. It fueled everything that they did. And so if we want the fruit of God, and I think we all want the fruit of God, both in our lives and in our community, in the city, we are city church, we are a church for the city, we want to go forth and we want to make known the gospel of Jesus. If we want to see the fruit of that, if we want to see what God did in the New Testament happen around us today, then we must be in pursuit of God in the place of prayer. If we want to see the fruit, then we must pursue God. This is a reality that we must embrace. It's something that, that must get inside of us so much so that we're willing to only focus in on this, to allow ourselves to truly be transformed, to truly pursue what the early church pursued. 
to not just lament that we're not seeing the results of the early church because it's easy to get in that place of God just send revival just send revival he's like okay now pray 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 let's look at Romans 12 verses 9 through 13 I'm actually going to read this one not just summarize it because it's only like four verses so Romans 12 verses 9 through 13 it says this Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I love this scripture because it's, it's in the midst of Romans. It's still in the heart of what Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And, and I think Paul has a, a really simple goal here. You know, his goal here is to get the people, the church that is the church of Jesus Christ, to submit to Christ. That's his goal here. And, and we see that in verses 9, 10, and 13, that he wants them to submit to Christ and therefore show outward fruit. To do the things, to, to love one another, to hate what is evil, to cling to what is good, to be devoted to one another, to honor others above yourself, to be um, to share with the Lord's people. Like these are all the things that we see Paul wanting the church to do. But he also kind of throws in something in here to help us see how that happens. He's not just like pursue these things and you know just just try your best. Like that's not what Paul is ultimately doing here. And in verse 11 and 12, we see how this becomes manifested. We see how these things that we're supposed to pursue, loving one another, pursuing what is good, hating what is evil, those are things we should do as Christians, as people. But how does that happen? We see the answer in verses 11 and 12. In verse 11, Paul tells us, you know, don't lack in zeal and keep your spiritual fervor. And like when you when you read that, you're like, yeah. And then you're like, wait, what does that mean? You're like, it, it's like it's kind of like the motivational poster that's on the wall. It's like just this this vague, random thing. You're like, that sounds good, but I don't know how it actually translates into anything that I'm actually supposed to pursue. And I'm thankful that Paul knows this as well. And he's not just like, you know, don't lack in zeal and keep your spiritual fervor. He's like, yeah, amen. And he's like, here, let me tell you how to do it. Let me break this down a little bit so you know what this actually looks like. And we see that in verse 12. He gives us three phrases in verse 12 of how we're supposed to live. He says, first, be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. And this is the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we see the similar language in 1 Peter 1.3, where the apostle Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul first and foremost is saying, hey, focus on Jesus. Focus on the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Everything else flows from that. It flows from having our hope centered in the correct place. And we've talked a lot about this in this past year because it's been really easy to put our hope in other things over the past year. And we've talked a lot about placing our hope only in Jesus Christ. As we sing this morning, in Christ alone, in Christ alone is where our hope is found. The second phrase that Paul says here, he says, be patient in affliction. 
And this is what we can read. We're like, okay, I don't really know what that means. But ultimately what Paul is trying to remind the church here is to stand firm in persecution. To stand firm in persecution. And the similar language is used in Matthew 10, 22, where Jesus is talking to the disciples and says this encouraging word. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm, which is the same word for patient, to the end will be saved. So Paul's like, hey, put your hope in Jesus Christ, in the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. Make sure it's firmly there. And oh yeah, by the way, like things are going to go down. Like you're going to have some troubles along the way. It's not just going to be like this great lollipop and, you know, candy and, you know, steak dinner all the time life that we want to have in Christianity. Like things are going to get tough. Like it's going to be hard. You're going to face persecution, but be patient. Stand firm in persecution. Stand firm in affliction. When these things come and they will come, remember our hope is in Jesus Christ. It's not in having all the things. It's not having a great, nice life with no troubles and no worries because if we have that life, we're probably not pursuing Christ the way that we're supposed to pursue him. And then finally, Paul ends with this. He says, be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. And we can hear this and like, I don't know what it means to be faithful in prayer. And thankfully, I love scripture because we translate some things weird one way and then we can look other places to see how it was translated. This word faithful ultimately means steadfastly attentive to. Steadfastly attentive to, or to put it another way, it means to be unwavering. Acts 1.14 uses the same word and it says this, it says they all join together constantly in prayer. The same word that's used to say faithful here is used as constantly in Acts 1.14. What Paul is saying is to remember the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Don't worry when persecution comes, but constantly pray. Constantly pray. Constantly place ourselves in such a way as to seek the Lord in all things. To be ever before the throne. To know that our power doesn't come from ourselves. It doesn't come from our own strength. It doesn't come from our own might. It comes through the spirit that we get empowered by in the place of prayer. That's why when we look at the the book of Acts, we constantly see them praying. You can't really go a chapter in Acts without seeing prayer at the forefront. You may be able to find a chapter or two, but ultimately the, the grand narrative of the book of Acts has prayer at the center of everything the early church does. They pray, they're equipped, they're, they're refined, and they go. They go and then they pray. They're refined and then they pray. Prayer is at the center of everything that the early church does because they understood that prayer isn't a secondary act. It's not like, oh, we're going to make all these plans, and you know, we should probably pray about it too. That's not what the early church did. They prayed first. It was the primary action that the early church pursued. So if we want fruit, and we all want fruit, we've already established that, then we must pray. If we want to see our lives reflect Jesus, if we want to be transformed into the image of Christ, then we must pray. We must pursue Christ in the place of prayer. It's not a suggestion. It's not optional. Prayer is a, nece- is a necessary part of the Christian life. It's something that we must pursue. It's something that we have to pursue. And not just something like we remember at the end of the day, we're like, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. You know, I had some needs. Like, you know, meet those needs. Like, that's not how we're supposed to pray. 
Ultimately, we can read through scripture and we can find lots of great prayers. We can look at the prayer book of the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. We can look at Jesus's prayer life. We can look at the Lord's prayer. We can look at all the prayers that the apostles pray, pray throughout scripture in the letters that they write. This is how we can learn how to pray really well. And so if you struggle with prayer, I encourage you to go after those things, to see how the people of the Bible prayed and approached God. You know, it's not an optional thing. It's not a suggestion. It's something that we must pursue. But I, I think we can get at the end of the day and like, well, what does this look like? What does it look like for us to, to actually do it? You know, I'm not talking about the words that we say because the words, they come with time. We learn how to pray better by doing, by being in the place of prayer. But how long should we pray for? When should we pray? What does it mean to be constantly in prayer? What does it mean to be faithful in prayer? And you know, I got a quote. You know I got a quote from someone that's going to hit us hard and make us think a little bit. So this is Andrew Bonar. He was uh, alive in the 1800s, um, you know, saw some, some great moves of the Lord. And he wrote this. He says, oh, brother, pray. I think we could just stop there. Like, that would be a good quote. Oh, brother, pray. Like, pray. Seek the Lord. But he says, oh, brother, pray. In spite of Satan, pray. Spend hours in prayer. Rather neglect friends than not pray. Rather neglect friends than not pray. Rather fast and lose breakfast, dinner, tea, and supper, and sleep too than not pray. And we must not talk about prayer. We must pray in right earnest. The Lord is near. You know, when someone ends a quote with the Lord is near, it's probably an important thing to, to go back and listen again to what they said. So I'm going to read this quote again for us to, to truly grasp it, because I think it's important for us to understand what Andrew Bonar is telling us to do, what he is telling us to do. He says, oh, brother, pray. In spite of Satan, pray. Spend hours in prayer. Rather neglect friends than not pray. Rather fast and lose breakfast, dinner, tea, and supper, and sleep too than not pray. We must not talk about prayer. We must pray in right earnest. The Lord is near. See, I love this because it puts into perspective how we should pursue prayer. What should our relationship to prayer be? It should be the most important thing about it. It should be the thing that we constantly pursue. It should be the thing we're like, well, you know, I can go out and hang with friends or I can pray. Which one's more important? Well, I need some fellowship, Jesus. Like, well, maybe. Like, maybe you do need some fellowship. But ultimately, are we putting off prayer constantly in order to go have fellowship? You know, he talks about tea because he's British. You know, should I put off the coffee shop instead of praying? No. Should I have fun and do the things that I like instead of praying? No. We must not talk about prayer. This is easy for us to do. It's easy for us to have a sermon about it, to talk about it, and to not actually shift and not, after, not actually do anything different. We must pray. And why do we pray? Because the Lord is near. There's another story about Andrew Bonar that shows up in uh, Leonard Ravenhill's Why Revival Terries. And it's one of those quotes that has stuck with me for 
since I read it over a decade ago. And uh, Raven Hill's talking about this idea of, of prayer, of pursuing revival, of wanting the Lord to do these great things in our midst, which we all want. We want to do these things. And he talks about Andrew Bonar um, basically staying in a place above a, a city street that was full of taverns. It was full of pubs. And he laid there weeping, saying, oh, they perish, they perish. Weeping and praying for them, not just seeing what was happening, not just being like, well, you know, I wish something would change. For all these drunk people out here just doing their thing. He, he's sitting there in the place of prayer, weeping, being affected by what he sees in the world and taking it to the Lord. It's easy to recognize what's going on in the world around us and to complain about it. It's something entirely different to pursue the Lord in the place of prayer about those things. The Lord gives us eyes to see what's happening around us, and so we must see those things and go before him in prayer. We must be willing to be inconvenienced for prayer. There's something we don't like doing. We don't like being inconvenienced for the Lord at all and it's something we need to to realize and the question that i ultimately come to is are we willing to have our lives disrupted by prayer are we willing to have our lives disrupted by prayer to have the things that we like the things we want to pursue the things we want to do disrupted by this this desire this earnest desire to go before the lord for our city for ourselves the early church was the early church was willing to be disrupted. They, they saw this Jesus. They had hope in the resurrection. They were willing to be persecuted. And because of all these things, we're like, if we're going to do this, we need to be in the place of prayer. We need to pray. And because of that, they saw the fruit of their labor. They saw that they needed to pray, and the Lord answered their prayer and gave them the fruit they wanted. You know, in the same book that I was talking about, Ravenhill also wrote, the church that isn't praying is playing. That's one of those things where I'm like, ah, like, I don't want to hear that the church that isn't praying is playing. You know, it stings, but I think if we sit with it for a moment, if we sit with it for just a moment, we realize that it's true. We realize that it's true. If we're not praying, we are playing. You know, he, he, he says something else in the book that I'm just going to summarize. He, he says that prayer doesn't replace the necessity of work. And this is something that we typically do. We go to one side or the other. We're either extreme on the prayer side or we're extreme on the work side. But as typical with Jesus, he calls us to a radical middle place. Prayer doesn't replace the necessity of work and work doesn't replace the necessity of prayer. There's a radical middle ground of where we pray earnestly, where we pray for the Lord to, to move inside of us, move inside of the world around us, and then we go and do the things that he's called us to do as well. The biblical church centered around prayer, and we should too. Because the early church centered their lives around the place of prayer, it's something that we should pursue as well. What do we pray for? We pray for ourselves. We pray that the Lord would be revealed in us, that he would strengthen us, that he would root out sin in our lives, that he would help us to submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to him. We pray for the church, for our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, not just city church, but the church, the global church that is at work and doing the things of Jesus Christ. We pray that the church would be strengthened, that we would focus on Jesus. 
that we would be moved to tears, that we would be moved to truly pray and go as Jesus commands in Matthew 9 and 10. We pray for our community, that they would encounter Jesus, that they would be drawn to this Jesus, that they wouldn't see church and the people of God as hypocrites, even though we typically are, but that they would still be intrigued by this Jesus, this way of living that's completely other than what we typically know. We pray so that we might begin to see the fruit of our labor. We can't just be about going and doing the mission that we've been called to do. We must take time and submit ourselves to the, pray, to the place of prayer. So right now we have eight weeks until Resurrection Sunday. Or if, you know, for you guys, that's, that's Easter Sunday. But Easter's a season. The, the first Sunday of Easter is Resurrection Sunday. We have eight weeks till that time. And Resurrection Sunday is always this day where there's a great opportunity to reach the world around us. There's always this great opportunity to, to reach out to people who are either think they're in Christ or far away or curious. And I think we're uniquely positioned to really make an impact this coming Resurrection Sunday. We are uniquely positioned because the coronavirus is still a thing. And we, we know that well. There's still a global pandemic that's happening around us. And so there's probably going to be less people pursuing church this year, pursuing the message of the gospel this year. But since we are outside, I think we're uniquely positioned to reach people in a very real and tangible way this year. You know, this is Resurrection Sunday is the Super Bowl of the church. I had to get that in there since today is the Super Bowl. I had to make like some Super Bowl reference uh, just to, to make sure it was in there. We were good, you know, because I had to be that good, you know, church. But no, okay, I'll move on. The season of Lent is typically 40 days before the season of Easter. And Lent starts in about a week and a half. But instead of just doing 40 days, I really want to call us to a time of prayer and repentance over the next eight weeks. To, to go a little bit further than just the season of Lent and to take the next week, eight weeks to be faithful in prayer, as Paul wrote to the church in Rome. If we don't know what to pray, again, look at scripture, go to Psalms, go to the prayers of Jesus, go to the apostles' prayer, but it's something that must be at the center of everything that we do. We should pursue this place of prayer at all times, praying that the Lord would make a great impact in this city, that he would move inside of us and he would transform us into his image, that we would be emboldened to go speak in his name to the world around us. I wrote this down. If we want to see apostolic results, we must submit to apostolic processes. If we want to see the results of the Bible, if we want to see the results of the New Testament, then we must submit ourselves to the process that the apostles use, the process that the New Testament church used. It's something that we must be about. This Resurrection Sunday is this exciting time where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the hope that Paul talks about here, that we are joyful in the hope of the resurrection. And so we're looking forward to that. I'm excited to be able to preach and not on Zoom this year, because last year for Resurrection Sunday, we did it on Zoom, and that was not fun. I did not enjoy that very much. But this year, we get to do it. We get to do it outside. We get to be missional in our approach to this. And so I want us to take the next eight weeks to pursue Christ like we haven't before. 
to truly seek transformation in ourselves, in the church, in this community, through the place of prayer. Through the place of prayer, submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ, being lowly, being gentle, being in this place of repentance. Being in this place of repentance where we seek God and say, God, I know that you want to move. I know that you want to move in me. I know that you want to move in this church. I know that you want to move in this community. And so we're going to humble ourselves. We're going to take a break from our, our selfish desires, from our way of life, and seek the Lord. And we'll talk about this more again next week about what this, this idea of Lent typically looks like, what this season of Lent typically looks like, and give some instruction there. I'm not going to require you to do anything, but I'm going to set some guidelines that the church has typically used and something that we should probably consider pursuing as well. This is a time of repentance. It's a time of prayer. It's a time of humbling ourselves before the Lord, seeking him so that he might move in us and in our community. So let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord going forward. Let's, let's do these things, not just talk about it, as Andrew Bonar cautioned us, but to truly do it in right earnest. Pursue Christ in the place of prayer. Let's pray now. And we thank you for your written word, that you've revealed to us what it looks like to pursue you, of what it looks like to be effective in ministry, God. And it happens through the place of prayer. And I pray that you would move in us, God, that you would help us to be inconvenienced for prayer, that you would help us to be people who want to submit ourselves to the process. Not just banging our head for results, God, but to, to look at what the early church did and to pursue that. To pursue you through the place of prayer. I pray that you would speak to us, God, that you would move in us, that you would draw us near to you over these next eight weeks. That this would be a time of repentance in our lives, a time of relentless pursuit of you, God. Help us to be steadfast in this pursuit, O oh Lord. Help us to, to seek you at all times, to be transformed in the place of prayer. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.